0: Good morning, my name is Spencer, I am one of the pastors here. So, we care about knowing more of Christ, uh, and one of the things, uh, some of the language you use is spiritual formation, that we would grow to be more like Christ. We have, when you walk out that door over there, a bookcase, that's called our Spiritual Formation Bookcase, alright, we just made it, and it's got some resources in it. It's got a link to our virtual bookstore, which has some recommended reading on it. It's got some stuff for care and counseling. It's got some stuff for Roadmap, which is our kind of guide to home family discipleship. just wanted to highlight one of the resources we have over there. This is 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. This is on the side where there's family discipleship. If you have teenagers, it's a really good resource. If you have teenagers, as parents, both of you can read this together. It's helpful. Um, We have some display copies uh, that are over there. Uh, but you also can go online and purchase this. But just wanted to point that out over there for y'all to check that out. We'll continually rotate books over there because we want to be people that know more of Christ. And one of the ways that we pursue him is through word and prayer and then looking at godly authors who have written things that we think are really helpful for our souls. We're going to be in First John today, chapter 2, uh, verse 28, all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 10. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. It's on page 592 in your blue Bibles. You can also follow along uh, in the screen, on the screen with us. So, I want to jump to the end of this passage, because uh, I want it to frame up where we are going today. So, starting off in verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So, it's another week in 1 John, another heavy passage uh, that is a lot to work through. And he comes out swinging here, differentiating that there are two categorical different groups of people. There are the children of God and the children of the devil. Now, if that's true, If the Bible speaks truthfully and authoritatively, and we as a church, we believe that, if this is true, then understanding where you land in that is one of the most important things you could ever possibly want to understand. It is incredibly important for us to understand this passage and what he is getting at. Like much of 1 John, he is really showing some identifying markers of what it means to be a Christian, and specifically today, what it means to be a child of God. So one of the main reasons we exist as a church is to understand this, to understand what it means to be a child of God and all the benefits that come with that. We believe that being a child of God, being in the family of God, is better than everything else. So we want to know what this looks like. We want to see the unbelievable love and grace and mercy and joy and attainable peace that comes with being a child of God, pitted against what he shows here is belonging to the devil, which is a road that is lined with a lot of self-inflicting pain on a collision course with destruction. So, like much of 1 John, the text is heavy. And in the midst of this, I don't want us to miss Uh, as we self-reflect, as we look at some of the observations that he's going to make about these two different groups of people, as we look at this, I don't want us to just see what it is saying as a set of observations without missing that in the middle of all of this is an invitation. And it is an invitation into being in the family of God. And that invitation is sweet and it is good and it really is better than everything else. We believe that wholeheartedly, so I don't want us to miss that as we walk through this. So let me pray as we prepare for this, and then we will walk through this together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Even when it is hard to absorb, it is true and it is good. Lord, I pray that we would put down defenses that we have against this. I pray that we'd be present. You would speak to us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we would respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start off in verse 28. He says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. All right, so we've seen this over and over again in 1 John. He has this dear children, this dear friends kind of language. Remember, he's writing this letter to, uh, to different churches And John, being an apostle, has been a father to many of these Christians, a father in the faith. And it's a term of affection. He says, dear children, he charges them, continue in him. This is continue in the faith. So that when he returns, you may stand confident and unashamed. So the language there, and some of the language we're going to see today, is forward-looking. This is when he returns. We take a step back from this. This is when Jesus comes. This is the second coming. When he comes to make all things new. When he judges heavens and the earth. When he judges everything. And he establishes his kingdom. When all of this happens. When judgment day comes. He says, I'm writing you to stand firm in this. So that you might stand firm in the confidence that Jesus provides. When I was in high school. No, I've mentioned this a few times. When I was in high school. I uh, was a late bloomer. Okay? Did not hit my growth spurt till junior, senior year. Okay? So I was, uh, was five foot tall coming into high school, 100 pounds, uh, but was feisty. Like I, I didn't take anything off anybody. No matter how, you could outweigh me by 100 pounds and eight or nine inches, I wasn't gonna take anything off anyone. So that, I had a mighty mouse kind of heart. No way shows up today in any form or fashion. But I had this uh, position, but I also had a brain. And I knew that if I ever got into something that was real, that being 100 pounds uh, less than somebody uh, was not sufficient uh, <laughs> for, for any type of defense. So I knew the people I rolled with uh, was of great importance. <laughs> and they were bigger. One of them, his dad owned a karate studio, and so he knew karate. Like, we'd spar with him, throw punches at him, and he'd just defect, deflect everything. That was huge. I knew that if we ever got into anything, I had guys that would back me up. I could stand confident. that This is the picture that we're giving here, that when Christ is for us, we stand confident and unashamed. Confident because Jesus destroyed the power of death of the resurrection. Unashamed because Jesus, when he went to the cross, he bore our sin and our shame. So on judgment day, we can point back to the work of Christ and say, that's what my sin was paid for. This, this eternal life that I'm entering into was conquered at the resurrection. I stand confident because Christ has my back. That's what he's saying. Stand confident. When that day comes, this is where you stand in the confidence that Christ offers. And then he continues in verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Since we're going to start to see as we work through this passage, this differentiating uh, what the people of God look like, what the family of God looks like versus what sons and daughters of disobedience, sons and daughters of the evil one look like. Now, when you do a first reading of this, uh, there's some tension within us because we Bang the anthem of the Bible that says that you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. If you've been in this church long enough, you've heard that over and over again that we don't earn the favor of God through our good works. It is by faith, it's by grace. Like we will beat that drum because the Bible beats that drum. And when you come upon a passage like this, it's like, wait, wait, wait a second, what? And you've got to read it slowly, you've got to read it carefully. Because what he is saying here is that everyone who does what is right has been born of him, meaning, that faith precedes action. That being born of him precedes doing what is right. We can't miss that order. But that's what distinguishes being a child of God. You are born into the family of God through faith in Jesus. And then what follows is right action. Now, he's going to keep doing this. All right, we're, gonna, we're shifting in chapter three now. He's going to keep doing this. But he did it for one verse He needs to just pause and celebrate this good news. We saw this a little bit in chapter two. Uh, Chet spent a whole week on this where he's just celebrating the gospel. He does it right here in verse one of chapter three. He says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. He's got exclamation points there for a reason. I mean, he is, he can't, he can't help himself. This, this is what it means to be a child of God. Now this is, what we're sitting in, is the doctrine of adoption. Okay, The, 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 the first John teaches it, the Gospel of John teaches it, we see in Ephesians 2, this idea that we are born into uh, sin. That we are once sons and daughters of disobedience. That's what Ephesians 2, the language of Ephesians 2. But what happens is God, in his rich mercy and his grace, he rescues us and brings us into the family of God. By his love, by his grace, by his mercy, that we can choose to rebel against him. We can choose what is not good for us in this world, but by his love, he rescues us and brings us into the family of God. Scott Hill has been teaching uh, uh, in Sunday school. The book, Gentle and Lowly, he's almost done with it. So many good quotes come from that book. It's a brilliant work that helps us understand the character of Jesus. I love what Dan Ortland says. He says that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. You catch that? Like the, the areas of your life that you have so much regret over, the areas of our, of our sinful nature that, that grieve us the most, understanding the mercy of God is that it's not a hotel stay. It doesn't just come in for a night or two or three, that it is a home that he abides in. He sets up shop in and his mercy goes nowhere. It is with us. He goes on to say, it means that the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. How good is that? The things that we don't want to look at, the things that we are ashamed of, the things that make us cringe the most make God hug the hardest. He comes in and just hugs us and says, "I, I see it all, and I still redeemed you, and I'm with you, and I'm for you. And he goes on to say, it means our haunting shame is not a problem for him but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to search for all the more. All the sin, all the shame, all the brokenness, all the hurt, His love surges forward all the more. And John just has to stop and celebrate that. That we are as children of God who he loves us because he loves us because he loves us because of his rich love and mercy. Don't miss that. And then he continues with this this difficult teaching picking up in the rest of verse one. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not, been yet, made, has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, he shall be. we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All have this hope in him, purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And this is where I get into the nitty-gritty of what it means to be the children of God and what he's going on to say is children of the devil. Two groups, two distinguishing markers, and two end results. That's, that, that, that's the picture he's drawing. He's forward-looking in this. When he says, we shall be like him, that we shall see him as he is. That is forward-looking. That is... New heavens, new earth. That is the future resurrection. That when we will be like him, we don't have categories of thought what this is like, but one day when all things are made new, we have a body that has no more sin, no more hurt, no more pain. That is a distant memory. And the picture there is purity. Pure, perfected selves. He says, that's what awaits us. In the meantime, as we are preparing for the glory that awaits us, he says, we purify ourselves. That we, this, is, this is the language of repentance, that we are believing the gospel. We're preparing for that that awaits us. Last weekend, my wife and I got some really, really good news. My brother-in-law called, and he said, listen, our family, we, uh, we get points to Disney World every year. They're Disney resorts. We had a, plan, uh, a vacation scheduled December 12th through the 19th. None of us can go. You want it? And I said, absolutely. Yes. We've been saving for three years to go to Disney World. So we, just, we, have, we have a trip that was planned two years out, and we just we, we moved it up. So something you need to know. Actually, a couple of things you need to know. First, this is a surprise to my children. Okay? don't go run and tell them that, are you excited about Disney World? Uh, Because my wife will murder you. Okay. The reason why she will murder you is the second thing you need to know. My wife is a Disney believer. She believes in the magic of Disney. She grew up going there multiple times. She's seen all the movies. Like She believes in the magic. She's all in on Disney, and I am not. I am I love, there's certain Pixar movies that are, I think are top notch. Up is like one of my, it's my top 10 of all movies. Like I, I, There are certain things I love about Disney, the Marvel movies, they did a good job with that, but I really don't like the company. <laughs> I just personally don't like the company. They bought ESPN and they ruined ESPN and I've always been upset about that. Like they just do things, like I just, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the company, I don't believe in the magic. So right now we're getting ready for Disney World. Last night, my wife brings a bag, and she's like, look, and she's got T-shirts made, right? She's got T-shirts like it's, you know, I'm wearing T-shirts, the kids are wearing T-shirts, we're all wearing T-shirts, or we're watching Disney movies in the next, we are, we are gearing up for the magic of Disney World. We're in this period, like, I came home last weekend, and she's on a FaceTime call with her sister and her mom, and they 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 know that I've got problems with Disney. And they had a statement prepared. They were like, you will not ruin this for your children. You will believe in the magic. Like this will be your Disney healing experience because I just like, okay. Like I listen, I can put on I, I, I'm I am i am not going to I'm not gonna ruin this for my kids. Like I'm not gonna go and say, oh, you see Winnie the Pooh? You see how he's wearing red? Kami. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like I'm I'm gonna do what all dads do at Disney World, and I'm just gonna, you know, put on a smile and work through it all, and you know, complain about the price of parking and food. Like I'll do what every dad does. Like I just chill out. Like I'm. But I'm not, there's a difference, there's a difference in approach. There. She's all in. She's all in. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be good. Good memories. Two of my children will not remember this in the future, but it'll be good memories. Like I'm, I'm, I'm for this, but I'm not all in. There's a difference there. Listen, as Christians, we are in the period of preparation. Like we are preparing for an endless amount of joy. We're preparing for an eternity with God that is beautiful, that is good, that is joyous. We believe that. But if you don't believe that, you're like, eh. You're not bought in. When he, tells, when he says, purify themselves, you're like, nah. no. I don't know. Sin, repent. No. You can even say that you're a Christian, but you can just kind of go through the motions. Like I'm going to do at Disney World. It's like ah, put on a face, look nice on Sunday in a group, but not actually like believe this wholeheartedly in a way that, if that's what awaits me, I'm in, and what and 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 I get a taste of that now, through. Leading into the gospel and believing that through repentance, I get a piece of that now, I'm in. There's a difference in approach between the children of God and the children of disobedience. That's hugely important for us to understand as we read these next few verses. He says in verse 5, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Catch that first part. He says, if you are a child of God, you, you know that he appears, they might take away your sins. Like you know this, like you believe this wholeheartedly. And what that means is, is that you understand that and you have faith. Like you, you understand the cost that it took. Like that, the the literal picture there is you understood the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. It cost the blood of God. It cost our murdered Savior on a cross. And if you get that, if you believe that, if you understand that cost, you will act accordingly. Like that. That's if you gave me. If one of you gave me an Aston Martin Vanquish S, which, Christmas list, you guys. If one of you gave that to me, I understand the cost of that's one of the most beautiful vehicles that has been made in the last 20 years. Like I get that, right? We bring that home, we have one parking spot in our garage that my wife can drive the swagger wagon into. I'm like, listen, That's got to go. The Aston Martin is on the inside now. Like when I go to Walmart, I'm parking in the back of the parking lot, not near anybody. You know what? I'm not going to Walmart at all in that. Like I understand the cost of that gift. I act accordingly. When you've been gifted, Jesus and faith in him by his, you you understand the cost. And it changes the way you approach life. You take sin seriously. So he says, we, we don't, he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin. Now, we touched on this a little bit in week one. Like you can go in a weird direction at that if you want to just post up in that and take it out of context. Some people will say, like that, okay, well, that just means that one day you arrive at a state of sinlessness, at a state of Christian perfection. And it's just like, no. First off, the rest of the Bible. Second off, no. Look at it, read it. It says, keeps on sinning, continues to sin. He's talking about a hard approach that continues to go after this. I mean, goodness, it's not like John forgot the first two chapters. In one eight, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In one ten, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. In one, he says, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Like, he, he understands that we're broken, that we're sinful. But there's a difference in your approach and your trajectory in life, it is one that understands the cost of sin and does not continue, as, 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 as Paul says in Romans 6:1, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, absolutely not. We, we get this, we understand the cost. And because of that, the approach of life, the trajectory of life, is one that repents of sin, does not continue in sin, does not keep on sinning. So, goes to this, then it gets into verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Which we've talked about in 1 John, that there are, must have been people in, the, just from the context you can look at, it, there are people in the churches at these times that are stirring up false teaching. But it looks like here as well, they're stirring up really wrong practice. There's some type of stirring up. There's some kind of uh, some lawlessness, some some sinfulness that's just uh, making its way through the church. And he is saying, "Dear church, don't let anyone lead you astray." The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. One who does not, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. He, he understands what's happening in these churches. And he just addresses it in some very black and white language. He says, if you've been born of God, okay, that's new birth in Christ, that's the seed of faith, is the seed language, the seed of faith, The Holy Spirit seals you. When that happens, belief precedes change. And the change that comes out of that is one that takes sin seriously. It's the recognition that that if you're dealing in sin, you're dealing in, I mean, the language is destroy the devil's work. Because if you get that, if you came, that's what Jesus came to do was destroy the work of the enemy. Why would we engage in the things of the enemy? Why would we go back to that? When he regenerates you, you actually change. There's this deep recognition that has to happen here. The one who does what is wrong is of the devil. And it's, this, and it's not just it's not simple, just sins and makes mistakes, but it's a pattern of not repenting of sin, but one that goes hard after the things of this world. Is when you are sinning, you're engaging in this work. You're engaging in the work of the enemy. He's been doing this since the beginning in the garden. And if you do this, you're going back to, or you're joining in with his team. That's difficult to receive on multiple levels. First off, it it's it seems intense that you would ever that anyone would ever be called a child of Satan. Like that just I'm just being honest, like that, that's a hard thing to even read. That's a hard thing to receive. You probably have super negative connotations of self-righteous people in the past who've thrown out child of the devil and child of Satan. That's just hard to read and absorb. And it's also hard to absorb this because we have habitual sin. You know, we, we have a habits of sin in our life. We all are messy sinners in need of grace. We have habitual sin, and when you read something as, as blunt as this, I mean, it sends you to this Christian existential crisis that's like, am I, do I even believe this? Like, am I even a child of God? Do I, do I, do I get this? It's hard to receive, but we need to receive and understand what he is saying, and we need to see the warning in it. Need, it this sh- there should be self-reflection as we approach this. That if our lifestyle, he used language earlier of lawlessness, and that's really a, a, a spirit of lawlessness, that this lack of restraint from uh, the work of Christ in your life, that there's this lawlessness, there's this pattern of pursuing sin. Like we, you need to evaluate whether you believe the gospel or not. And there's all kinds of examples we've seen in First John. We're going to continue to see in 1 John. For the one who claims to follow Christ, but is cold-hearted towards others. For the one who claims to follow Christ, but there are hidden patterns of sin that, they, that we're not bringing to the light. We saw that in 1 John 1. For those uh, who claim to follow Christ, but look at teachings in the Bible and say, nope. I don't agree with that. Nope, nope, nope. For those who follow Christ, as we're going to see, and we see in verse 10, and we're going to see throughout the rest of 1 John, have a lifestyle of not loving their brothers and sisters, which there's all kinds of stuff bound up in that. There are those that say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I don't like the church. Like, I love Jesus, but not the church. And it's like, yeah, I don't think you love Jesus because if you understood the gift of the church, how much he cares about the church, you wouldn't speak about the church like that. That's for those who are cold-hearted towards Christians. That's those very practically we're going to see in the very next passage that close their wallets towards Christians in need. If you have this lifestyle of pursuing sin, of closing your heart to those in need, you really should assess where you are. Who you belong to and the trajectory of your life and where it's going. That reality should weigh upon us. First John is very blunt here. If you have this pattern, then you may very well be a child of the devil. You don't belong to him. And that, listen, difficult observations to absorb, difficult teachings to absorb. At times, it's like I. The sinful part of me is like, I'd rather just not touch certain passages and go elsewhere. There's a reason why we preach through books of the Bible so we don't avoid the hard stuff. But don't miss that in the difficulty of those observations is an invitation. Like it's not, not just saying those things and like I got Like no, he is extending an invitation. That invitation is faith in Jesus and entering into the family of God. Like God is, if you are here this morning, it's not by accident That God loves you deeply. He loves you so much that He sent Jesus, His Son, to be crucified for you so that you would experience the endless joy of Christ for eternity. He loves you immensely and wants you. Don't miss that. There's an invitation into the family of God, and it is good. Don't pass it up. Verse 10, we'll close it out. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother sister. Two groups, the children of God, the children of the devil. And the invitation is there. One of my professors in seminary he had, they had three children the old-fashioned way, and they adopted six other kids. They had nine kids all together. Yeah, so they had tons of time on their hands. Um, they, those adoptions were not... Sometimes you, you hear adoption stories like this. Those are group adoptions. Basically like four or five kids at once. These were all uh, individual adoption stories. And he told one story in particular. He, uh, someone connected him to a family in Virginia. And... So he went to uh, Virginia. And there's, they're, they're getting all the paperwork together. And this, you know, a lot of times, and in, in, in generalizing, this is not all situations, but a lot of these, these situations, there's drugs involved, or there's immense poverty. There's lots of reasons that are in this. This is not one of them. The, the, the dad was an FBI agent. This was a middle-class family. They, there's no drug problems involved. They just didn't want their son. He's five years old. They didn't want him. I can't wrap my mind around that. They didn't want him. So he he they do the paperwork, they're getting everything together, and he goes and visits the child and the family at his home. And he sees the boy, and he's, you know, he's five, but he didn't look five, which that's years of neglect and malnourishment. They go up to his bedroom. He's still sleeping in a crib at five years old. I mean, just Immense neglect. And this family signs over, writes their kids, and they head on back to Kentucky. And he said, the ride home was one of, it was, it was wild. Because they try to prepare you for that when, when you're, in a lot of these situations, like, this, listen, these kids have attachments. Even bad parents are still parents. So they prepare you for, listen, like, they're you know, this may, this may take months. Years, there, there may be all kinds of things you'd be ready for that they might not just jump into your family like it's just going to take some time. This kid was not that. When that kid got in the car, he's like deuces and just left because he just started asking questions. He said, "Hey, all right, so I'm a Stenson boy now, right? He's, his, his name is Stenson, Doctor Stenson. Yeah, I'm a Stenson boy, right? Okay, what do we like? What do Stenson boys like? He was like, he's driving. He's like, what in the world? It's not his first adoption. He's like." Uh, well, we love baseball. He said, baseball? I love baseball. I'm all, I'm all in on baseball. I'm all in on baseball. I'm a Stinson boy now. And he did this the ride back home. He's just investigating what it means to be a Stinson boy. And this kid is all in on that. Here's the deal. God the Father comes to us in a neglected state. What we're born into isn't good. What we pursue outside of Christ isn't good. It, he's... The enemy's not a good father. There's nothing good about that life. And he rescues us and brings us into the family of God. And we get to look at that and say, deuces, come to the family of God and say, I want that, I'm in. I'm a Christian now. What does that mean? Tell me. What does it mean to be a Christian? What, 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 what is it? We, 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 what do we do? We, you got a book? A book about you? A book about, I'm in. I'm reading that. There, we, we got bear fruit. You talking about apples, bananas, spiritual fruit? Don't know what that is, but I'm all in on that. Repent, repenting of sin. Tell me what it is. We sing songs, we got our own albums. Let's do this. Like we jump into the family of God and say, this is better. I want him. I don't want what I was saved from. I want the family that I was brought into. God the Father looks at us and says, I want you. When you come into my family, you will experience the endless joy of Christ from the moment of rebirth into eternity. The invitation is there. My hope is that we'd have the honesty to reflect in our own hearts and we'd accept the invitation. Matt's going to come up and we're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper and take communion together. This is a a meal for the family of God. And what that means for us as Christians is that we're real, we're, we're real honest about our brokenness and our sin. We don't shy away from that. We don't feel shame because that's been paid for at the cross. But we come to this meal as a meal of remembrance. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you that he took the cup that was the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood that was shed for you, that as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. So we, This is a meal of tension. We look back to what Jesus has done, but we also look forward until he returns. So take a moment, prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper, and remember that when he comes back, there is glory, there is endless joy, there is goodness, eternity which is why we look back at the cross and we thank him for the what he did for us to bring us into the family of god if you're not a christian you've heard all this and you're honest with yourself like i don't i don't i don't get this i'm not in the family of god please don't take this meal please take this moment to hear the invitation of christ He loves you. He laid down His life for you. He wants you to experience the goodness of the Father. He wants you to experience the love of Him as our Savior, the joy of walking in the Holy Spirit, and the joy of walking with other broken Christians who strain towards the goal that is eternity, celebrating that it wasn't by any good works that we were brought into the family of God but by his rich mercy and love. That offer is there for you to believe. Do not pass it up. Believe. Pray to receive Christ. Come talk to us and join the family of God. Let me pray. Lord, it's difficult to walk through text like this, but it's so good. It reminds us of how rich in mercy you are towards us. It reminds us of how good you are. We need to hear that with open ears. For those of us that are in Christ that are working through a lot of sin and a lot of brokenness and a lot of shame, help us see that we are yours. You call us children. You love your kids. And that we get to come to this table in worship and in joy. Lord, if there's anyone here that has not entered your family, I pray right now that you would take hold of their heart. They would not leave today without feeling the urgency and the beauty and the joy in this invitation. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.